Merry Christmas, friends, and welcome to the special holiday edition of the Your Project Shepherd podcast. Since it's late December and we're getting ready for those frigid temperatures here in Houston, Texas, I wanted to do a couple of episodes related to the cold weather. In case you missed last week, be sure and go back to listen to my discussion with Eric Klein from Goodsmith about a checklist to prepare your house for winter. Because as us Texans learn the hard way and what all you Northerners already know, you never know when an unexpected freeze or snowstorm is going to come and hit and wreak havoc on your pipes and the other systems of your home. So continuing this winter theme and wearing ridiculous Christmas clothing, today we've got Toner Kirsting and Ryan Atley from Toner Home Matters to talk about electrification of homes and a couple of kind of sacred cows like those wood-burning fireplaces that everyone loves to hang their stockings by. One other announcement that I wanted to make today is that we're going to have a little shift in format for future podcast episodes. From the beginning, we've really been focused on teaching consumers and homeowners the right way to go about a new construction or remodeling project. And I think that we've built a great reference library for that purpose. In fact, a lot of our architect and designer friends have been telling their clients to go back and listen to those episodes as they're getting started. But moving forward, we're going to focus and do uh, shift our focus rather and do uh, a lot more builder and industry focused episodes because we have so many listeners and viewers who are in the business. Now, that does not mean that we're going to abandon the homeowners. We are still going to mix in some homeowner focused episodes and we will try to make all of our topics something that everyone can get into. The last thing is, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate all of your support over the last year of doing this show. It's been a huge learning experience for me, and I love hearing from you that you're getting something out of it. We are looking forward to some exciting things happening in 2024, which we will be sharing with you very soon. And now let's get into the conversation with Toner and Ryan. Merry Christmas from me, Daniela, and the rest of the Shepherd and Crafted team. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals, and welcome to this special holiday edition of the Your Project Shepherd podcast. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching us on video, we are all decked out in our holiday apparel. Um, I almost didn't wear this today because I feel like you ever seen the the old uh, the old SNL skit with Eddie Murphy as Gumby? It does look like Gumby's. <laughs> and so it, the Merry Christmas, Merry damn Christmas, it! Gumby. Except he always had a big cigar. Yeah. <laughs> well, your thing is a little off kilter, which so is, it almost looks like perfect. you hit the eggnog a little too hard this morning. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yes. So uh, joining me today is Toner Kirsting and Ryan Atley of Toner Home Matters. Um, and we are going to talk about, uh, since we're getting ready for Christmas and you know Christmas here in Texas, it's so cold, we all need to fire up our wood-burning fireplaces. Of course. So we're going to talk about kind of these sacred cows and this resistance to electrification. So the episode, I guess, is as far as when I was planning it, my, my topic was electrification. Um, and kind of why people resist that. And then obviously talking about the benefits of, of doing that. So, yeah, the, the electrified home, right? We actually, this is one of the most popular classes that we teach and it always elicits this weird dynamic of people. And I used to think that it was just Houston, the power guys, right? The energy oil guys. And typically those folks are the ones that respond best to it because they understand the industry sector. There are some that swear they can't do it because my my friends would see me and they would think that I'm going against the industry itself. But you're a greeny weenie if you that's do it. Right, basically. That's right. But there are some really important things for us to do and um, and to understand. Um, and so we're looking at it from more than just. In fact, the thing we don't look at is we want to get rid of gas. That's not our goal at all. 
but we're looking at indoor air quality. We're looking at health criteria. We deal with the negative results of this. But also, you know, I always like to start the conversation with, hey, you know, 87% of your power consumption is your air conditioning equipment. Oh, and by the way, 82% of the time it's running, it's all electric. So you're already almost an all electric home. So the segment that's actually gas provided is really, really small. But that one little segment provides so much issue for us. The ventilation that's required for it, carbon itself and how you process it through your body and through the home, the tighter the envelope, the more difficult that is. And, you know, I'm glad that Ryan's here because I, I spend a lot of time setting this up and then he has to continue that conversation, especially going forward. And it's, it's kind of crazy how they can commit to it. And then they always kind of start to him and haw on it. Right. Yeah. You see the conversation shift from just a big picture ideas to then actual execution and things will shift sometimes, particularly when you get different builders involved. But the thing that's interesting um, that I think would probably be good to talk about too, is the aftermath of the big winter storm and how that shifted a lot of dynamics, um, both in people's perceptions and what they're willing to consider. Um, and then how that relates to like the energy grid and, and all that. So it's really interesting. But what I've found over the years is most people are more hesitant to cut out gas when it comes to like cooking. Um, and that's a big one as opposed to just, do I do a heat pump or a gas furnace and things like that? So, yep. And, and, and I think that the conversation around that is not that we're getting rid of gas. Sometimes we want to improve the situation. We want to lessen the gas. So for instance, if we are looking at a plan, there's a 60 inch gas cooktop sitting there, or let's even be more considerate, more conservative, say 40 inch gas cooktop, which used to be huge. Now it feels very commonplace. And that is a lot of off gassing, not only when it's operating, but let's be honest, it only operates normally on one or two burners. So you're not getting that full output. But the ventilation for that thinks that it is iron chef time, that the entire thing is brewing and we're over 400 CFM, typically 1200 CFM of exhaust. So that means 800 CFM. So 400 CFM or greater. You need to have technically, yeah, it's 400, 399 is the cutoff. Yeah. Um, 400 and greater, you need makeup air. So what is makeup, makeup air? Makeup air is 800 CFM, which is typically a 10 inch pipe OD outside dimensions attached to a, a side of the house, port ceiling, hopefully not the roof. Like if you take your makeup air off the roof, we're going to have a major, major issue. So and it still says, hey, whenever you turn on this vent hood, I'm going to open up a damper accordingly to the CFM requirements. So if you go to half speed, it opens half up. If you go to full speed, it opens full up um, and it's going to let in hot, wet, dirty air, but under mechanical pressure. It's different than opening a door. It's different than even your fresh air, right? That's all going to be in, under natural pressure considerations. It's mechanical pressure. You're forcing it in. Forcing it in. We're sucking it in. And it's going to dump into the home. And it's not clear where that dumping is. We'd like to dump it really, really close, as close to the hood as possible. Because that's latent heat also. And 10 inches or 1,200, or excuse me, yeah, 800 CFM is equivalent to 1.5 tons of conditioning. So if I drop that on 300 feet away, or not even that, 30 feet away, it's going to uncondition that space as it travels to the hood. It's going to go across your body, up the hood. That's what you got. But even homeowners will say, well, then I'm not going to, I only, I'm not going to turn it on, right? Like yeah, I'll hardly yeah. ever turn it on. Okay, that's great. Because makeup air damper, even when it's closed, leaks 11 to 16%. That is a lot of leakage. 
So and it's uncontrolled and because it's an intake. I can't put a really, really heavy damper on the outside of it because it would just suck the damper closed. So it is always bleeding into the structure. Um, our largest uh, um, loss, forensic loss to date, has to do with a makeup air system and a fireplace that came together to circulate on each other. <laughs> and it just drenched the house. So that makeup air is, is, a, is a really, really challenging thing. So then I had to have the conversation induction, which I haven't <laughs> told you, Ryan, I'm actually in the process of changing my um, home in Houston over to induction. I'm giving the induction cooktop to my wife for Christmas. She doesn't know it. <laughs> oh, I now, ordered, is she going to be excited about this? She is going to be stoked about it. <laughs> we'll so see. She is so tired of, um, she also wants all new, and then we get all, we're going to get all new pot. We don't need all new pots and pans because if a magnet sticks to the bottom of the pot and pan, it works on induction. But she's going to move to all stainless steel, which I can already feel my forearms tensing up with the amount of cleaning it's going to take <laughs> to keep those things looking like yeah, perfect. It's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. We uh, will be able to kill a lobster in a minute and a half. <laughs> right. But it's, it's more about the seamless look. So it's so flat to the to the surface of the of the countertop. And there's no buttons. And it's one of the ones where the entire surface is cooking surface. So you can put. You says you can put as many pots as you want on there. You actually are limited at seven different cooking surfaces. Um, but if I had a, a griddle, the shape of the state of Texas, I set it on there. I would be able to grill cheese evenly across the entire. And it's interesting when you start actually looking up all the ways that you've been cooking on a cooktop. But now I want to know what temperature do I cook that at? Not medium, low, high. And it has a way of monitoring not only the temperature below, but the temperature above the lids or the pans that you select, they have a sensor inside them that communicates back that it'll automatically adjust it up and down to maintain. I was wondering if you'd have to get one of those temperature guns you they, know, where you see people take the measurement of the surface. Some brands have a version of that. that you, you just it's a you set it on and you can actually set it inside the material that you're cooking or set it on the steak or whatever. And it'll monitor that. So we're excited. That's I hope my wife doesn't listen. No, no, yeah, surprise. Well, this go. is coming out uh, a couple of days before Christmas. Okay. So well, she doesn't listen anyway. She's like, I, I hear, I don't want to hear that. She's yeah. Like, my I'm wife not. does the same thing. She's like, I hear you on those Zoom calls upstairs. Like, I already know what you're telling people. I don't need to hear this again. You know? Yeah. Tony's wife hears him talk all the time. All she's like, uh, I just want to like turn, turn him off at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ryan has to, has come up with a couple different ways of configuring that makeup error, either through the vent hood, if we can get there early enough. We can double neck the vent hood. Also, we've brought in the makeup air through toe kicks. We've gone put the makeup air in the ground or in the slab um, and come up and also pulling the makeup air off of a porch ceiling on the leeward side of the structure is always better. Sorry, let's talk about um, like if you if you're using induction, you don't even need. 400 plus CFM range hood, right? The need for the vent hood is based off of waste heat. And so an induction top technically has no waste heat because of the way it's creating an electromagnetic field. And so at that point, you might want just something that's small for fumes, um, but it's really not about needing waste heat at that point. So I think people have the misconception that they, they have to have the, the, the vent hood is to take out the, the fumes the or the, and the, the... Yeah, that's the, not what it... Yeah, it's the, all about the waste smoke heat. From the smoke from the bacon... Smoke, right. is, smoke is easy to remove. I can remove most smoke with a 40 CFM exhaust fan. And typically we, we have a project we just finished 
and we got all the way through rough inspection induction cooktop on an island. Imagine cooktop on an island with no big hood over it. It's freedom. You can actually think about the positioning you cook in and with gas. The majority of the time your back is to your guests. Mm-hmm. You don't get to talk to your family. You can talk it at them. They can talk at your back. But now you have the freedom to look at your kids, to check their homework, to have conversations with your guests while you're cooking because that vent hood is gone. But I don't want to face my mother-in-law while I cook. <laughs> well, that's just a personal choice. You're going to burn you know, the meat, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, no. And, but that, and all we did was put an ADCFM exhaust fan in the ceiling. And they show up at final. And what does the inspector do at final? Where's your vent hood? Yeah, they choke on it. Like, you're asking us now where right. our vent hood is? <laughs> You've been here how many times? And it was all the way up in the ceiling. And the thing is, code hasn't caught up to that. So code is saying, well, you have to have a vent hood. I was like, no, you don't. Manufacturer code would tell you, well, so the manufacturer comes out there and goes, well, yeah, we, we typically see vent hoods. It's like, did you just say that, man? <laughs> what you typically see that came out of the manufacturer's mouth. It's like, you need to reset and talk about what is allowed and what is not allowed. He's like, yeah, you don't have to have it here. It's just for waste heat. So, I mean, doesn't the code actually say that if it's a gas appliance, you're mm-hmm. supposed to have it? Just says, uh, just says cooktop. Hmm. That's the problem. Now, there, there are some that will be more specific, some city codes that would say gas appliance or gas cooktop. But then you have to actually dig in and show them that only pertains to gas. It's not that general because in the HVAC code, it doesn't specify gas or electric. There's also some gray areas when code is being rewritten now today. A lot of times they say to reference manufacturers, you know, specifications and requirements. Like that's how all the window codes are, right? Mm-hmm. How do you flash a window? Well, you follow the manufacturer's instructions and code doesn't really say anything about it. And so you have a little bit of that where city inspectors are saying, well, what do we need to do? Well, I need to find the manuals for these appliances. So someone's got to pick up the ball and run with it and say, this is actually what you need and why. But yeah. And before we leave, well, while we have the gas range on the ground and we're kicking it, let's talk about how absolutely filthy gas ranges are, right? You go to cook, it splatter goes everywhere, right? If, if you've, anyone's ever had an electric cooktop where you have to clean the cooktop every single day because so you, someone will know it's dirty, then you realize that every time you cook, it gets dirty. Yeah. I go into tons of houses that they're complaining about health needs. They're complaining about contaminants. And what do I have? A dirty, nasty, never been cleaned gas cooktop. What's even worse is if I have a cast iron pot pan on top of it that they never clean because they say if you clean it, it will no longer be seasoned. That's right? actually not true. That's a that's an old wives tale. I know. Right? <laughs> I'm so, a big cast iron user. <laughs> so, well, that's a good question. Does cast iron work on an induction top? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. the a, magnet sticks. Yeah, to- yeah, I have a beautiful like say like. Crockpot. Yeah, you have to be yeah. careful though uh, with with that finish, not to like set it down too you do. hard. You know, right, right. nice thing with the gas with a, with a big grill is it yeah. doesn't matter if you kind of and, drop it hard on the on the surface. And the way that you the difference between an electric cooktop, which everyone thinks of the coil top or that old one, the problem is when you clean it, you have to use an abrasive, and a lot of the decaling it's on the finish, it's on the surface. Mm-hmm. So as you clean, it, you start to wear away the coloring, especially if it's white. So it starts to look worn down versus the induction. It's not like that. It's underneath a layer of uh, chromio. I forget the name. Chromio voltaic, basically the magnet. So you, you can scrub it, scrub it, scrub it, scrub it, scrub it. And you don't remove the logoing. It doesn't 
start to fade away and look like you've been scrubbing away at it. But I that, run into that issue on my house. I have an older glass top electric and you definitely know every time you cook on it, mm-hmm. it's a mess. And I've scrubbed the heck out of that thing. And the white like guiding circles yes. are all gone. And you have for- to get it hot and see, oh, there's that red ring. Let me put the pot right there. It's like, oh my goodness. But with the one you're talking about, you can put the pot anywhere and yeah. it just, it knows yeah. where it is. So that's that means that we had to get this upgraded on your house. Yeah. Too, yeah. yeah. You just put me in line. I'll, yeah, I'll take that's right. It's one of the last things I want to mention on, on, on the cooktops is if you're, if it's a retrofit or somebody's doing this without permits or whatever, and you put that big uh, range hood in and you don't do makeup air, Bad. you know, and you, and you kick that 1200 CFM vent hood on, where is th- that air is coming from somewhere, that's the thing, right? You don't know where it's coming <laughs> well, from. So yeah, I tell people, I mean, think about it. It's like a room of this size, 1200 cubic feet. That that's a lot of air that's being pulled out. So where's it coming from? If I don't have a defined path, well, it's just going to come from whatever the path of least resistance is. It's going to be a crack in the framing or around, around the lights, window, around, around, around the light switches. That's and right. If so. you have a makeup air that's a 10 inch pipe coming into that space and you turn on the vent hood and it says, I need air. And in that living room, you've got a 10 inch makeup air and then a 14 inch fireplace. It's taking it from the fireplace. It is not going yeah. to take it. The path of least resistance is the fireplace. And what do we What's the flue pipe here? Oh, yeah. B-vent pipe. It's not even... It's B-vent. Yeah. Metal on metal. Metal on the outside, air on the inside, metal on the outside. So when it pulls that outside air down, it pulls it down both parts on the inside and between the insulating layers, which is they're hoping that the air is the insulator. It's mostly for fire protection. Well, that pipe is freezing cold, and then it sweats. And then we go to the fireplace, and there's rust everywhere. And if it's... (laughs) We have on Instagram a picture of a glass front, real linear one, and it looks like a fish tank. It has so <laughs> much condensation inside it. And they're like, should I use that book anymore? And I'm like, no, we should <laughs> take that out. Take that thing out. <laughs> yeah, so, so a room this size, let's say this is, I don't know, 15 by 10. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's got 10 foot ceiling. So that's easy math is 1500 cubic feet of air in this room, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got a 1200 CFM range hood, you know, the, the air one, in this room is getting changed one out minute. in a, a minute. All minute, the yeah. air in this room is getting changed out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Roughly. And so where's that? Yeah. Where's that air getting pulled in from again? Yeah. Fireplace. If you've got a um, gas furnace in the attic and the uh, there's no weather stripping on your attic yep. door, it's it's pulling air out of your attic. Right. Yeah. We it's going to look for things that are proximal, that are close to that area and try to pull from them first. So, right. um, so yeah, that's why a lot of times you'll see leakage come through like the back of cabinets in a kitchen or something like that. And that can be a problem. And, and let's so. be honest, how did our moms, when they burn something, um, how do they get rid of the smoke? They turn on the, the window, they open the window or open the door. Right. And it works. It works yeah. really, really well. In fact, there are still some cities that even though they have this in their code, if I can show that there's enough square inches of open window or door within a certain distance, we don't have to have makeup air. The challenge with that is the next buyer. Does the next buyer know that, right? And even if it is the original owner, sooner or later, that person is going to become too old to do that. And then they're going to forget about it. And a great example of what happens when you don't do this right is a house we have over in the Heights. We had it. It's not ours. We did the forensics on it. And it was built. They used a out-of-town building performance designer. So uh, someone who's, I don't like to say, we like to say that they were they are the toner of where they live. Um, so um, and they came down and they designed this house in Houston. It's the elevated crawl space structure. And they decided to do a mud slab. So concrete on the ground. And then they said, hey, we're not going to have a ven- ventilated crawl space, but we're going to seal it. 
So they went underneath there, built a stem wall all the way around, spray foamed it, waterproofed it on the outside, normal, normal waterproofing. Um, and then they have this big hood vent with a 60 inch range. It's a downdraft. So it's pulling up. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's going to, it's pulling down and out of the crawl space. No makeup here. So they kept wondering why their floor felt so spongy around their, <laughs> their uh, island. And then one day their entire island went and sunk four <laughs> inches into their crawl space. Because you mounted all the weight from the marble and all this kind of stuff. And what it was is the makeup air. When they installed that stem wall, they didn't do the sill seal. And this is a probably 7,500 square foot house, 7,000 square foot house, so 3,500 at least if not 4,000 on the first floor, imagine how much stem wall that is. And and a mud slab is different than a concrete slab. It's more flat work. So it's going to have like, it actually had a brush. What's the the, way they've used. Trying to to seal a bottom plate on a (laughs) sidewalk with broom finish. That's a, and and it was horrible. And it was very, very difficult to fix. We had to end up going down there and resealing all the stem walls. And then, and they also, they didn't condition the space. There was no demonification. And we ended up, the resolution was we moved them to an induction cooktop. And he's like, that's fine. I'm building an outdoor kitchen anyways. So let's talk about um, fireplaces. We touched on that a second ago. I almost called this episode chestnuts virtually roasting by an electric fireplace. That's right. Oh, that's nice. right. I like it. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we were starting to build these tighter enclosures, which, you know, code in general is, you know, code, everything's moving toward tighter enclosures. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's required now. It's code now, right? And so... You can't just drop the old school wood burning fireplace in the house, although people try, right? Yes, they certainly try. Um, often. But uh, you know, we're 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 switching over to electric fireplaces, which have, by the way, gotten really good. Yeah, I mean, well, you get what you pay for. Like, you can get a crappy electric fireplace, obviously, right? But you can spend a little bit more and, and get a pretty sweet electric fireplace. We've done a few of them. Let's talk about you know why we need to get away from doing the wood burning fireplaces. Again, that's one of those sacred cows, in my opinion. People are like, I, I love my electric fireplace. Um, and they feel like they're kind of settling if they go to a, even a, a gas log fireplace. But we, same deal. We can't do those anymore either. If you want the, the warmth of the real fire, do, do like a really nice outdoor fire feature. Right. Do a fire pit. Do a, a fireplace on your back porch. Something yeah. like But get it out of the house. Yep. Yep. You want to tell you that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about understanding, um, you know, carbon and having something burning in the house that then we have to get out. And we're doing so much to maintain good indoor air quality in a structure. And then we're just going to burn something in the middle of that structure and say, let's hope it turns out okay. It's kind of a crazy (laughs) idea, right? It doesn't matter how advanced our filtration is. You would need a mass amount of air exchange to get rid of something if it's not immediately exhausting out. And so, you know, that's the big risk is how do we do that in a way where we can have the fire exchange the air out, but not have the indoor air quality suffer. And it, that's a big, difficult ask. So in a lot of masonry fireplaces, it's, it's interesting. You'll hire a company to build a masonry fireplace and they'll give you a flu, but they're actually just a masonry fireplace company. They are not a flu company. So there's a disconnect. So they like, well, there's a da- there's a damper right there. That damper is in the wrong position by basics. Our exhaust fans, we have dampers at the pressure plane. Anything that goes to the outside, we have a damper at the pressure plane. We have to manage our pressure in the same orientation, not all the way. And one reason why back, bath fans backdraft is the damper's on the wrong location. That is a challenge. Code already and has for a long time spoken to the fireplace that it should have a sealed glass face. It is one of those things that energy raters, you know, when you pay 250 bucks to an energy raider for a res check and, and a sticker at the end, 
they're not they're not even going in and concerning themselves with this. You're not actually receiving an energy certification from a raider. You're just getting through the city. It is pencil whip at best. And I, and I could have a whole episode on why the energy rating system has failed. But we have to acknowledge that we still have parts and pieces that are there to, to meet it. So 3% envelope leakage, that's West U. I mean, it's where we're sitting right now. If I go into a commercial structure, and Ryan can attest to this because he does all of our commercial work, and I have a commercial structure at 3%, I can't have a gas fire in place in there. Commercial code won't let you do it. Why? Because of life health safety issues. So why is the residential code giving us a pass? Where we live. I know. Where our families live. Right, exactly. Right. Where you have unmodulated occupancy rates, right? You have uncontrolled. You could be brewing kombucha today and <laughs> studying tomorrow. You have no idea what happens in that space, right? So it's really, really challenging to try to find a resolution to, uh, to will give you a, a fireplace that you can enjoy. It is unsealed, what we'd like to call the Hansel and Gretel fireplace. So we do, I would say at a minimum, for those that are listening, if you're going to do a metal flue, the first step is class A pipe. So that flue pipe, instead of being metal, air, metal, it's metal, fire foam, metal. So I don't have the communication down the sidewall. That's number one. But we have a couple of manufacturers that won't let you do that. Yeah, they'll... they'll they just haven't, they haven't been tested for it. They've right. never... Never they don't have the it. UL ratings for the assembly, yep. so they can't and they, offer and it. <laughs> there are conversations that this was like two weeks ago in Beaumont. They're like, I've been doing this for 30 years. So I was like, please don't say, please that's, stop. That's, that's, the, that's my, yeah, my, yeah. my least favorite oh comment on, on a construction site. Yes. Right? Yeah. It, 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 and the thing is, the guy looks me up and down to determine how many decades he's going to apply to that, basically. <laughs> so now if a guy said, I've been doing this for 40 years, I'd be like, damn, I look old. If that guy said 40 years, he used to be, I've been doing this for eight years, eight years. because you're 25, right? <laughs> and he's already outpaced you. Yeah, there's really two issues on the fireplace, right? We kind of, I hit on one, you hit on the other. One is having a fire inside the house, right? And that introduction and burning of carbon. The other is the envelope leakage and backdrafting and how do I seal up the structure? And I really just don't see how you solve for either of those scenarios unless we have a sealed box. Um, it's just very difficult. And then we have the idea, the concept that when we have a tight structure, it affects the draft rate. So when I had a house that was leak a 20% leakage, air would move through the home in a more uniform fashion. When a house is 3% leakage, everywhere that we do have a deviation in that envelope or that pressurization plane, it's going to increase the amount of air, moisture, heat, everything that moves through it. When I have a chimney with a open flue, right? And it's inside the windward side of the structure where I have a tight envelope. We have many, many, many fireplaces that will never draft. It's impossible. We can't overcome it. And even if we do have fresh air coming to that firebox, it's four inches. Yeah, it's not enough. Nothing. Yeah. Right. And that's a wide open hole. So I have a project in Austin and it's it was a beautiful 2100 square foot add on. Beautiful. Six fireplaces, all open masonry units. And when you stand in the house, you can feel it push you. What's that? Oh, my it's God. Somebody, somebody turned on the. Uh... The fake cat noise machine that's oh, in the I thought office. It was, I thought it was Toner's sweater for a minute, like, because it was playing music earlier. Maybe it is. It's my phone. I forgot. You have my a wife cat just meowing ringtone? Yeah, my wife called me. <laughs> what, is, what is That's her custom ringtone. <laughs> Do you want to explain this? Because that sounds like a story. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you not go. my sweater. It's not your sweater. Yeah, we're going to leave this on, by the way. We're not going to cut this oh, out. No, that's oh, great. Oh, we? Yeah. This is perfect. So for, for those of you who are listening, yeah, there you this go. is Toner's sweater. 
It's not too incredibly long. I thought about getting that sweater, but I thought I would trigger my dog. So I thought, yeah, <laughs> I better not. No, that's that's life right there. Um, so if you're so if you're listening, be sure and hop on the video version of this. Hop on yeah. YouTube and and check out the, the the fits. The only call, only when it's on, do not disturb. The only one that will ring through is my wife. Right, like so, something's up. Right, I'll figure that. So out. hopefully nothing's yeah, up. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> nothing's up. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But um, anyways, that that house it, it circulates so much from so many different directions that you can physically feel it moving back and forth. And to prove the point, we went out and bought a big Yankee candle with the four wicks, set it there, and while we're having the conversation, you just watch the wicks. They're just turning all <laughs> different directions through that house. And the way we resolved it was um, the fire rock fully sealed damper at the, at the top. So fire rock sells a damper that goes at the top of your, um, flue pipe and it's old school. Like you used to put your hand in there and there's a chain you pull the chain down and it goes boom, boom, just like those clear storage containers with the white tops that you push down. It literally works just like that. So there's a chain down, you pull it, boom, boom, seals it. When you want to put on the fireplace, boom, boom, unseals, fix the problem. So that's a problem with backdrafting when it's not in use. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've seen other houses often. I'll see this if it's a smaller structure with a short chimney where in operation of the fire, it doesn't draft properly. Um, I have one for a builder's sister and it's right on some water. So it's catching heavy wind load and it's the pool house on the back. And of course they're living in that pool house right now while they build the main house. And they tried to light a fire and the whole structure filled up with smoke. And they had uh, fresh air. They had everything done right. And it still wasn't working um, just because the envelope was too tight and there's too much wind on the property. So. Let's also t- talk about during the off season when people don't close that flue during the summer, how much is being lost through that chimney during the off season. I was at a house in, in, in West U that we're doing right now. Our, our painters had put some thin painters plastic over the fireplace to, to, to cover the firebox while we're working. And I, <laughs> <laughs> we already know where this is going. The, the homeowner was there with me and we were sitting there, they're watching it. And every time the wind blew outside, you would see the painters plastic <laughs> get sucked yeah. into the fireplace. And I, I pointed at it to the homeowner. I'm like, this is how you know your flu's not closed. <laughs> yeah. we, we have one on University Boulevard here. And it, their drafting is so heavy in the summertime because they're, they are house faces north and south. They have a really tall chimney on the southern side of the structure, but it's positioned perfectly. And the wind load is tremendous. And they went ahead and bought a custom damper with a wind block and all this kind of stuff. But they did not want to do they did not have the damper at the top and they couldn't put it up there for some reason. Um, so they had to go to old school air pillows when they get done in the wintertime. We had to put a pillow in. They had to go up to the top. They had to put this pillow in there and inflate it. That is old school. That's no different than when in the summertime they wanted to cut back on drafting. They would stuff things into chimneys, especially in Fredericksburg and in more German. They go up there and they take a basically hay pillow, stuff it in there. So that they <laughs> and, could stop the drafting, and hopefully they're more to take it out when yeah, when they're that's done. Right. Well, they that's figured right. that if it catches fire, you know, it's a masonry fireplace, it would just burn off, right? Yeah. But that's really, really risky. After it smokes the After house, it up. smokes the house up. So. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about kind of as we're discussing electrification. To, to me, kind of like the last pushback to to electrification is other than um, fireplaces, gas ranges. Well, I, I guess. Gas furnaces is, is another thing, but to me, the whole gas furnace conversation is actually pretty easy one to overcome. Like on all of our clients that we've switched from gas furnaces to heat pumps, I haven't and gotten a lot of pushback on that. We will take credit for that 100% <laughs> because Ryan and I, I was going to say that actually, ever ago 
it's been many it's years. Been many, we've been I mean, doing it's this. been it's been twelve years at least where I've been all electric heat pump, all in the largest air conditioning market in the United States. That was a win. That is not an unusual conversation now. Our production builders are moving to all electric yep. heat pump. And then also the water heater not being in the attic is not a problem anymore. Do you mm. find that to be a problem anymore? No. 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 So switching people to heat pump water heaters is, is kind of the, the yeah. more the more recent conversation. That's like the next that we've been having. Yeah. But I've actually gotten very little pushback on the whole heat pump water heater thing, which I was concerned about, but I haven't gotten much pushback. Where are you with pricing on that? Like, how does that come out so far? They're equivalent to a, a a good tankless water heater. Got it. I think that the good heat pump water heaters are two thousand dollars ish. Yeah, and and a good tankless with all the the fittings that you have to add to it is about the same. I like it, especially I like mixing the, the mixing them up. So if I have um, a two water heater need, um, which is not uncommon, um, I'll do the tankless for the um, baths, and then for everything else, I'll do the heat pump. I love putting it in a garage because the byproduct is that it dehumidifies the garage, right. which is nuts. Where are you putting the tankless? I put the tankless in the garage, too. Okay. Gas? Gas. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So now I had to vent it still through the sidewall, but that's not right. an envelope wall. Mm. So I will, or we'll stick it outside. But once we're building a plumbing platform, we'll just build two plumbing platforms. Yeah. You know, build it right next to each other. We just got done with a project where the heat pump water heater is suspended. There's no flue pipe. So it, it's actually in the same corner of the garage, but it's coming down from the ceiling instead of up from the floor. Hmm. So they just literally built a little cantilever thing, set it up there. It looks really cool. But if we're trying to get rid of all gas in the home, just switching to all heat pump water heaters is a, is a great yep. strategy. I mean, the key is we, we don't want gas inside the structure, inside the envelope. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of gas tankless water heaters because they're remarkably efficient. But we got to put them on the outside of the house, right? Yeah. So either the garage, yeah. outside the structure, and then it's not a concern. And of course, putting them outside the house is is an issue when we start dealing with more freezes and things like that. Oh, and power outages, gas conversation. Is that going to transition us to another discussion? And power outages, which is the next thing I was going to talk mm -hmm. about, was uh, the gas generator is kind of like the the third kind of sacred cow to me in this market right like everybody wants a gas backup generator yeah the neighborhood's gonna sound like a the indy 500 that's right <laughs> everyone's once generators power fire up and, and it hums and everywhere. i would actually recommend that the listeners on the podcast go back to our episode where we had dana yes hegemenos i think i said it right hegemenos 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 um, sorry, on, Dana. Yeah. Sorry, Dana. Sorry, Dana. Um, and she, we did a great conversation on yeah. the the benefits of a lithium battery over a natural gas generator. I think that that is going to become. I mean, it is every conversation about generator. You're going to do a battery. You're going to do natural gas. And I almost need someone to say, well, I'm, to why you want to do natural gas. Like it used to be convincing them to do lithium. Now it's like they have to convince themselves. Why do I want to make that bad decision? I am still using natural gas. Um, we'll do a lithium battery for the whole home and I'll put natural gas on the pool mm -hmm. because the pool, the efficiency of pool equipment is ridiculous. And especially in a winter yeah. storm, cause it's got to go right. You got to run, 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 run. Um, that's the beauty of the heat pump pool heater, mm -hmm. which I am switching my pool heater over to before this summer. And it's going to be stellar. It's my last winter. I heat my pool from about. The middle of November, so probably right at, we'll start heating it for Thanksgiving, and I won't turn it off until the middle of January. So we get this monstrous bill. We do more swimming in the wintertime than we do in the summertime in Houston. And, um, the, but the heat pump water heater wouldn't be able to heat that water up to 
my family likes to swim in 98 degree water, which is like swimming in a bathtub. That is a bathtub. It is a bathtub. In my whole neighborhood, (laughs) I got this column of steam rising up, rising up (laughs) out of my backyard all winter. Not a bunch of reptiles. (laughs) Jeez. Um, And, but the heat pump water heater can't get it that warm when it's that cold outside because of the ambient. And even when it tries, but what would it do? It would be able to still get it up to about 82, 85 degrees. Which I believe is plenty warm. That's plenty warm. Average yeah. person, right? Now, if it's if it is below, or excuse me, if it is over forty two degrees, relative forty two degrees outside, it could get it up to ninety eight. But it also will maintain it in a much more efficient manner. So I'll go from having seven hundred dollar gas bills to heat my pool down to about a two hundred fifty dollar electric bill to heat my pool. So I could justify heating it all the time. Uh, when I'm having conversations about the generator and, and battery discussion, what I usually like to tell people, if I'm buying a generator, it's like buying an insurance policy, right? I'm going to spend money on this big ticket item, throw it in the backyard and hope I never have to use it, right? The grid doesn't go down. We don't have a storm. Um, the difference with batteries is that I have to buy panels with them. And so historically, it's been a bigger ticket upfront purchase. But I'm buying an asset that does have some form of an ROI. Now, that's kind of the big discussion. What's the ROI? Right. I don't know, but there is one. There's not really an ROI on a generator, right? It's a dollar. (laughs) It's it's different, right? But obviously, as you have efficiencies and costs come down and solar and batteries in a format can more match up to not be, you know, significantly more expensive than generator. Now I can talk about it because I am getting something that's going to produce for me, offset some of my utility costs. Um, and so I think it's a really compelling play to evaluate at that point. Yeah. And if you right size the, the panels and the batteries, it doesn't have to be stupid expensive. No, that's right. We talked about this with Dana. You don't have to load your whole roof up with panels, right? Like you can, you can get the appropriate sized system for your home. We always say that solar purchases should come in, in, in pairs. You start small, figure out how you like it, what part of it you like and what your actual needs are. Then you do your second phase, which would be more batteries or more panels. You should always start eight panels, two batteries, eight panels, two batteries. That's how everyone should start. So um, it, that's been the most effective. We And this isn't us just coming up with this. What we have learned from our clients, we're listening to our clients and what they appreciate. And now there's certain people that have some impatience towards that. But the way that even the tax incentive is built, you, you can use it more than once. So, mm-hmm. so if you spend $20,000 this year get that tax credit. And then next year you add another set of panels, another set of batteries, you can get that tax credit again. Correct. Or delay the tax credit, right? Take it. If you know you're going to do this over a two-year period, do your first purchase, then do your second purchase, then take your tax credit. Because you can roll that tax credit back for about three to four years. So, of course, talk to your CPA. Yeah, don't don't listen to us. We're not. Make account. sure you get on the QuickBooks chat before you do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great helpful resource. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> so, what are the what are the big uh, not the big what what are the downsides to doing all electric to doing electrification? I mean, I, I think the the biggest argument and the one that we saw. Um, you know, two years ago, a big winter storm is well. What if the grid goes down? Right, and that was kind of a kind of a freak thing, but it feels like it's becoming more, more and more common with climate migration and just like extreme climate Mm -hmm. changes. Normally, you know, if your power's out for one or two days and you've got a battery system, you're, you're cool. But if it's out for a week and it's not sunny, then it becomes an issue, right? It it could be. Um, Of course, you're moving into a conservation mode. So if you're normally having in full regular life two days and you will go to a conservation mode, you could stretch that out. Um, I mean, let's remember that panels produce electricity in, at night. 
that doesn't have to be sunny out for them to produce power. Um, so you're always, you will always be producing. And typically if it's a hurricane, it's the most beautiful weather after a hurricane. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. These are usually small time events. And then the grid is having issues for a duration afterwards, but it's sunny the next day. And even on a cloudy rainy day, you are still producing. I'm thinking the winter storm though, where it was overcast dreary for, you know, a week or more. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you're getting some, some production, but you're not getting full production. Right. True. I mean, I think that just like with anything that we talk about, you can't just take one little thing as like a side. It's not a, it's not a tapas menu, right? Like, oh, I just want to do a battery and I don't care about anything else, right? When you take a holistic design to a house and we talk about all these things from performance, they all matter to the end result of something that's going to work well and be resilient. So how you size batteries and how you size the AC systems and whether you do heat pumps, all these things play into, can you go into conservation mode and then run in these situations? And the answer is yes, but you can't just like, pick and choose three of the 10 things, right? You really need to go through a process with a good architect, a good builder, a good design professional like us. And when you do that, you know, we've seen really good performance, even in storm scenarios, grid failures. And conservation so, mode means you're not going to run the whole freaking, like every device. Yeah, we don't need to run house. everything. I don't need the media room freezer fridge keeping beverages cold, right? Right. And so we have to design the panel setup for the batteries, uh, prioritize what needs to actually be run. Um, and then it's definitely manageable. And that so. was really that was really a manual effort before, or even when you have the electricians kind of work it out. But now with new panels like the span panel and just the revolution of the electric panel, which we haven't touched that thing in forever. Yeah, right? I mean, it was due for an update. It was right? really due for an update. I, I like the span panel because it's a real simple application. A regular electrician can can install it. Um, I think it's it's going to bring a different level of capability. And it's also going to it's going to be smarter than what you could provide, especially with battery management um, and solar production management. I think that's going to be really standard. That'll be a new stock spec for us next year will be um, a span panel or equivalent hmm. on all of our structures. And when we but when someone asks about solar or why we want to use lithium batteries, we always like to go review their home first. You end with solar. You end with battery. Yeah. Do not start with them. That's a very good point. I, I did some reviews in a neighborhood that I did a class for, and I went to this one house and they had put solar panels on it um, to honor, I think it was the 100th anniversary or something like that. And I walked this structure and they had rotten siding on the house. The crawl space was an absolute <laughs> mess. And I'm like, okay, I really appreciate we did solar here. But we, we should have earned our way there by doing other things first. And so I think that's a really prudent point. Um, you know, again, uh, kind of what I said a second ago, I think you really need to look at these things with performance and structures on a holistic level and not just cherry pick like the things that you think are cool um, because every decision has an impact on other systems. You know, a good example of that is going to be um, the houses that Anise Parker did. So former mayor of Houston. She did, um, I believe, four houses. and They were off grid. I remember hearing about this. This is a long. This is a while back. This is probably at least twelve years ago. And I remember I was in, in this industry. Um, our company's been in business for about fifteen years, so it was two or three years into it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's someone out there who got this job, and I didn't get it. Right? Toner like, always gets. I, I get that call from Toner all the time. It's like, dude, you won't believe. I'm like, it's okay. Someone didn't hire us. It's, it's all okay. right. I feel like I, I feel I feel like I let someone down. Like, oh yeah. Didn't get this job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I had the opportunity later on when it had forensic problems to go check it out. So it was like, well, we tell him. 
Well, hire me now. Hire, hire, me, me, now, later. hire me later. Whichever one. <laughs> yeah. And and the homeowner was really proud. Oh yeah, this house runs off grid. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, I almost didn't charge them to go do the forensics just so I could get in the house. Yeah, I want to go see it. And I get there. The house is totally normal. Everything, nothing special, nothing special about the envelope, nothing special about AC. In fact, it was a horrible AC design, two-story, one system with an electronic zone dampering system on a single stage outside unit, single stage inside mm-hmm. unit, total garbage, um, no demification. The windows were the cheapest windows you could ever imagine. Horrible orientation. I mean, like they had all this opportunity. I'm like, then how did this thing get off grid? You walk in the backyard, giant gas generator. It <laughs> runs off a gas generator. Their off grid was just to pay a bunch of let just run the generator instead. Right. It's wow. a biodiesel generator. I'm like, this is not off grid. This is total bait and switch. Yeah. And the thing that the problem was the biodiesel was no longer available. So you could go to normal natural gas, but then it runs at a different efficiency. All of those houses. The good thing is they left the electric hook up there. And I think most of them switched over to all electric just to, to grid power. But I remember seeing that. I was like, what a sham. <laughs> I mean, off grid doesn't just mean off the electric grid. Like off, off grid to me means everything. It, independent, You're disconnected from independent a utility of utilities. Right. Yeah. So okay. like no, no natural, you know, no natural gas lines, no electric, no water, no water, no, no sewer, truck right. bringing you fuel yep, of some type. Metaphysically, <laughs> it's been off grid. Yes, it is. 100% morally, it could be off grid, which we, we could talk about morally off grid structures later on. We probably can't talk about that, that yeah. on a podcast. Still a whole prepper episode. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was prepping for this, I was, I was Googling just to see what people were saying. I was Googling, you know, drawbacks to electrification. And the first thing that popped up was, from a gas company shocker yes. oh, wow. and and the headline said you just can't count on electricity and then below that it said but you can count on propane that, <laughs> I, was, I was like was this written by hank, by hank hill hank hill that's right sponsored by the texas railroad commission who, 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 who manages the propane industry in texas right yep um that is i'll tell you what yeah that is a um and, and there's a lot we lost a job earlier this year because when we were talking through our normal introduction process and I brought up heat pumps and I brought up the, the no gas in the structure in the structure, he was an oil and gas executive and he did not like he felt like in his response to me when I asked, you know, when we did follow up, he was like, I do not like your political agenda of trying to make us get rid of our gas. And I'm like, political there was not a political agenda, <laughs> even after explaining the health benefits and the building science and the forensic problems and the real world stuff. He didn't hire us because he believed that we had a political agenda to electrify the world. And I'm like, man, I drive a, like my vehicle was like 11 miles a gallon on a good day. <laughs> I know your Land Cruiser, my forerunner, are gas forerunner. It's Horrible. like, come yeah, on, my freaking Ram 2500. <laughs> we're, we're like, this is not yeah. my goal. We are helping your stock price with our cars. That's, that's right. right. That's, that's right. right. But I can make it. I could justify when you drive a vehicle that stays on the road for an average of 12 to 15 years, the amount of, of waste that you're not turning into. It's, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, there's a big tangent there. It's yeah. like how many people with their electric vehicles are running solar power or are they just pulling that from the grid, which is a, Correct. a carbon power plant? Yeah. So, so. yeah, that's an interesting discussion. The whole green discussion around electrification is not, I mean, to me, that's not the reason that you're doing electrification of homes. It's not the green reason. It's not our reason. I mean, no. you know, we don't typically speak to efficiency. Um, we speak more to resiliency, yeah. right? We, we care about, yeah. you know, the indoor air quality, um, the health for the family and the occupant. Like those are our biggest motivators. So yeah, it's kind of, 
interesting feedback yeah, we, you got from. Can we make agreement on this podcast right now? When we're all dressed like this, we won't use the term green and on twenty twenty four at all. <laughs> it is it's just get it out of our system now. You know, <laughs> it's not easy being green. That's right. It's it's it's, it's an antiquated reference. Um, I think it had its time. And it had its place trying to educate the general population on the efforts for energy efficiency. That is not what we should be leading with. We should be leading with durability, resiliency, um, health quality, standard of living. And the byproduct will be that. And if we end up with um, no gas in a structure as a result, it was earned there. It wasn't an agenda to remove gas from the structure. It was the byproduct or the result of a million other decisions that had nothing to do with gas. Yeah. The whole uh, political argument that surrounds kind of that is is one that you're, you're never going to win because people are so staunchly on each side of it that there's no point in trying to have that discussion. I mean, especially when you start talking about the electricity that you're buying, where is that electricity coming from? Is it coming from a coal-fired power plant? The minerals that are in the batteries, where how are those being mined? What's the tra- right. what's the transportation cost? What's the disposal cost? So to me, the whole green discussion is not even part of this. It's about sustainability, resiliency, IEQ. Yeah. Yeah, you, you nailed it with that. If we could provide a house that is resilient, that is durable, that is healthy, then the homeowners are likely to stay in that house longer, which actually would, if that was the perfect world, it would reduce the number of houses that we need to build. Well, we got to stop the whole baby making thing. That's kind of a problem. Um, <laughs> but can't really stop that. But people would be able to stay in those structures for longer and see more out of their investments. And um, I think there's a, a, a huge benefit of that because we deal with structures. We're, we're on dozens of houses right now, and it's their second structure because their first one turn out to not meet those resiliency factors and their family can't stay it anymore. And that's not the industry's fault. It's just, it's technically, I would blame code. Code doesn't care about those kind of things. So you build a house of code and they still fail. Um, and when they fail, they normally are at the, the loss of the owner themselves and their investment. So it's a very, very tricky little uh, segment of the market that we, we help manage them through. So, but once again, we're not here to remove gas. We're just saying that gas ends up getting removed through good choices. Right. And again, uh, code building standards are going that way anyway. So, you know, why not? You wouldn't be ahead of the curve. I think if if the code books looked at each other instead of just within their own covers, they would see that they affect each other. And and we would see, oh, hey, we're three percent envelope leakage. Let's not do gas fired cooktops anymore. Let's not do open technically open combustion fireplaces or against code now. Right. But we still sell the hell out of them. So how is that company even? What, what does that company do when they read in the code that you can't have an open combustion fireplace and they go, hey, you know what, guys, I read this in the code in Houston, but let's keep selling them there, right? Like they're physically choosing to do that. So I think there's some culpability with the manufacturer who chooses to sell something that doesn't meet the code. Why are you even making it available? Because it is misleading to the builder, to the end user, to the designer, to the homeowner that it's even why can I buy it if I can't use it? So that's a um, challenging opportunity. And, and I know that we've irritated the market enough that we've received cease and desist letters from fireplace manufacturers. Because, so, oh. yeah, it's like a red badge of courage. Might get one here. Well, I've, <laughs> I, I received one that says, I've been dealing with building signs people like you for 20 years. He wrote it in, a, in an email, <laughs> which is great. I was like, thank you for saying that. I've never used it in a class. I should use it in a class. And it's just it's our our environment is, is specific. Houston, but the Austin, listen up, Austin, listen up, Oklahoma City, listen up, Raleigh, North Carolina, Hotlanta. 
you better start building the way that we build here in Austin or you w- or in Houston or you will be caught off guard. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. coming. So that was a nice Christmas message. That was a threat. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much love and cheer being spread around here, you know? <laughs> Spreading holiday cheer for all to hear. That's right. Something like that. Oh, I didn't I didn't show you all my uh, I also have my my elf shirt on here. Oh nice. If, if people watching want to check that out. So speaking of spreading holiday cheer, there's there's my elf. I the other day I was like, I don't remember Elf being in the theater. Like I don't remember it being a thing, and it's because it came out the the year that my first child was born. Oh. I was busy not knowing what was in the movie theater when you have a baby at home. So did you see it in the theater? I think so. I yeah. oddly enough saw it in the theater in Nacogdoches. Really? Yeah. I'm like never there. Why were you I, in Nacogdoches? One of my good friends, you know, went to Stephen F. Huh. And so we were all there for the weekend and we went and saw it. Yeah. I feel like I missed it. I, I don't know where I went. Oh, I was like, where was I? He was like, yeah, I was changing. I, That's one of those movies yeah. that we that we watch as a family every single Christmas. Yeah. We own it on DVD. We still have a DVD player. We, we have like three DVDs. But that's one of the ones <laughs> we actually watch. OK, so before we go, what are your what are your, your favorite Christmas movies of all time? I'm a I'm a Christmas story. I've always have been. I saw that in the theater that was in Peter Billingsley, who plays him is my age. So just like Fred Savage is my age. So the wonder years yep. felt very relevant to me. And then he turned out to be a horrible person. But <laughs> um, but Peter Bill- Billingsley was my age. He looked like my twin brother, um, blonde hair, glasses. So it was always my brother would get you no. Know, oh, are you the kid from toy from a uh, Christmas story? And I have that. I put that on loop. I have it on Amazon. So I just turn it on and it's just looping 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 and it reminds me also the only time we could watch it was turner classic mm. right like 15 years ago so that's mine brian that's a tough one you know i have the sentimental ones i grew up with you know watching a christmas story or it's a wonderful life but i'd probably say either national lampoon or elf because those ones consistently still make me laugh today so yeah yeah for me it's national lampoon's christmas vacation yeah. I, yeah. I can recite the whole movie daniela what's your what's yours Yes, honey. National Lampoon. All right, Charlotte. Oh, yeah. All right, she's great. a National Lampoon too. Yeah. There you go. Uh, introduced a Christmas story like a year ago. What? what? Uh, wow. Well, my my family, the rest of my my extended, excuse me, my in laws family, um, they all like um, Holiday Inn. That is an exceedingly racist holiday movie. Like, I've never watched absolutely that. <laughs> flat out. It's where you know all of our classic Christmas songs came from from that movie. Oh released. yeah. During it was it was released right before World War II, so all of those Christmas songs followed the, from that movie went over the radio, and all the GIs fell in love with it, and that's how we have those White Christmas and mm-hmm. like that. But the movie itself should almost be borderline banned. <laughs> so, yeah, great. Now you're going to have a bunch of people go watch it because you're like, oh about my it. god, Turner is right. That's a horrible <laughs> movie, but the yeah. music's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks guys for coming on today. Thanks uh, for having us. Ryan, it was a great, great yeah. to have you for your first time on the podcast. Oh yeah. yeah. Ryan's first time. And both of us being here means absolutely nothing's happening. Nothing is happening out there. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, Sam, Sam's working, right? Sam's working. Sam is yeah, working. Everyone else is everyone working. Else is, yeah. so, so Sam and I were talking at your, your F1 party the other night um, that he wants to come on and, and relate some of his crazy stories from when he was an architect of some of the insane stuff that he saw as an architect. He would be a good reference because he spent at a, at a time as a really, really high end residential architect. And now he's on the dark side, right? He sees yeah. so many of these other things. So his, his perspective is very unique um, in that. And he's a interesting person on top. Yes. Yeah, so we'll get Sam on pretty soon. Yeah. So 
Here before long, we'll have to have the whole toner team. That's right. There you we'll, go. We'll have been on the po- We'll have to get Terry and Regina to come talk some, talk some back about you guys one day. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. And, uh, and thank, thank all, all of you for joining us for this special Christmas edition of the Your Project Shepherd podcast. And sign off to you. And the there's, there's the sign off music. Yes. Hold on. Here it comes. Here it comes. Happy holidays, everybody. (laughs) And to all, good night. (laughs) Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Happy holidays, and I can't wait to put that tree in the garbage. Oh, Merry Christmas. I'm going to eat too much. (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. If you found us helpful and enjoyed listening, please support us by liking and subscribing here on your podcast platform and also join us on our YouTube channel. We want to continue to bring you high quality content and expert guests and your support truly helps us to continue this journey. If you have any questions for me or my guests or any feedback for us, you can email us at podcast at yourprojectshepherd.com. Thanks again. Recording. Recording. You can use that if you want to. I know you will. Oh, is the volume up on my mic okay?